You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Patrick Antonetti. Two uh, segments this week, three guests. I think you're going to enjoy this. First up is Adnan Verk. He has been on this podcast many, many times. Always uh, always fun. Always a ton of name dropping. And uh, people seem to enjoy our conversations. He, of course, is the host of DAZN's Changeup. That is their MLB Whip Around show. Hosts their boxing coverage. He's now also on the MLB Network and has added the NHL network and we get into a lot of things from um the difference differences between working at the zone versus espn uh, his over punishment at espn why espn did not keep ryan Rosillo, and where the zone might be heading in the future i think you'll enjoy that conversation after that it is ivan mazel and john Dahl of espn ivan mazel of course one of the foremost college football writers in the country he's covered college football for espn since 2002 john Dahl is an espn vice president of special projects and original content one of the point people behind 30 for 30 and that is a discussion basically on all the content espn has for college football's 150th anniversary season they have a ton of stuff and really good stuff documentary style stuff uh including uh, a couple things that i saw in the integration of college football which were really really fascinating and well done espn is also doing all sorts of greatest games they have a panel to pick um you know the greatest players of all time so it's a it's a sport obviously espn is significantly invested in and they have thrown a ton of investment towards that all right so first up adnan verk and then uh, john Dahl and ivan mazel coming up on the sports media podcast all right as i said at the top adnan verk this guy has a lot of jobs now at this point. He's the host of DAZN's Change Up, which is their uh, MLB whip around show. He's hosting their boxing coverage, or at least some of their major fights. He's uh, a host at the MLB Network, and now has added NHL Network to his resume. So, And obviously, I think people know Adnan for many appearances on this podcast, as well as his long career at ESPN. And, uh, you know, one of the great Canadian icons of his time as well. Adnan Verk joins us. On the Sports Media Podcast. Adnan, welcome back. Rich, to quote Ang Lee's Brokeback Mountain, I wish I knew how to quit you. This is a record-breaking fifth appearance in your podcast. So right now, Jamel Hill is furiously trying to contact your producer, trying to book her next appearance. With, with the exception of John Oran and James Andrew Miller, there's been no greater friend of the podcast than me. Uh, this is probably a sad statement for both of us, but... It is a thrill to reunite with you once again. And, of course, let's make it clear. I'm only here because Marty Brenneman did not come through for you. So, listen, you're going to go from the Reds' iconic broadcaster to me. Congrats. So there's a lot of truth there, and let's, let's hit some truths. First off, you at one point, uh, one of the episodes I did with you when I was at Sports Illustrated, had the most downloads I had ever had. It was in the six figures, which I still think had to be some kind of glitch. But the fact is, it exists. <laughs> so my thought in terms of booking you after that you know, massive six-figure podcast was, all right, this guy's gold for me. I'm going to be booking this guy. The downloads are going to come. You know, SI is going to pay me extra. Well, that turned out not to be true. You know, Cadence 13 is going to give me, you know, a big, big uh, castle on the sky. Well, that didn't turn out to be true. What happened, Adnan, is every time I've had you on since then, the, the downloads have dropped. So uh, is it a question of your lack of popularity or maybe I'm not doing as good a job? What do you, wh- how, would you, um, how would you assess the fact that at one time, you know, you were at like Bill Simmons, Ryan Rossillo, pardon my take type levels, and now you're, you know. Now you're like uh, you're like a schmo like me. 
I don't understand it. Well, as I fade into obscurity, I appreciate the fact you throw me a lifeline to at least resuscitate my uh, verbal uh, and IQ, at least out there, in terms of the, you know, the public Q rating. But I will say this. You were right. At one point, I was the number one podcast you had, and living like a king. I mean, I was, I was just gluttonous and, and boastful. And then one week later, the great Sean McDonough knocked me off that perch, if you'll recall. <laughs> we hit six figures, and the next week, McDonough just dusted me. And so I could, I could never quite recover. And, of course, Sean should be number one because he's the best, and I did my pressure for you last time. I will admit you were right about one thing, which is that when I was on the last time, by the way, I went from top billing, and the first time I was on, last time shared billing. I was like the second guest on Colbert, because it was me and my man Michael Lombardi together. And as right. you pointed out, when I, was, when I was pumping up Cinephile, I said, listen, Cadence 13, they're so happy to get me because they gave me a home for Cinephile, and we're doing the GM Shuffle. And as you know, the GM Shuffle, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts, is doing great. I'm completely riding Lombardi's coattails because he's fabulous when it comes to the NFL. He, he just crushes people and speaks his mind. And as you mocked me the last time I was on, you said, you know, they gave you Cinephile just because that's the throw-in. Like, they want you to do the GM Shuffle. And, okay, we'll give you Cinephile, too. It's sad for me to admit, but you're absolutely right. I don't think Chris Corkin could care less about Cinephile. Uh, we, we need the subscriptions. Please help me out. C-I-N-E-P-H-I-L-E. Go to Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to Cinephile. You never have to listen to it, but if you want to hear about The Irishman, the new Scorsese De Niro Pacino film, I gave a lengthy review, spoiler-free. Please help me out. But it pains me to admit, Rich, you were right. Cinephile, uh, we're on life support right now, okay? Let's be honest. Listen, and I'm with you because, like, at one time, I, I think when I was at SI, I was the bell of the Cadence 13 ball. You know, let's put it this way. I was like Tessio in Godfather, Abe Vigoda, basically. <laughs> now, seriously, I'm like gunman number three for Cadence 13. I, I could not be further down the list. Uh, uh, your podcast with Lombardi is the bell of the ball. So me and you at Cinefo, you know, me, we're both struggling. We're like right now uh, Tim Robbins swimming through that thing in Shawshank. Hoping maybe to get to the other side. Uh, and maybe it'll be Chris Corcoran and Spencer Brown and Zuataneo to, to re-up our podcast. We'll see what happens. To your credit, at least you always shout those guys out. Like, I, I like to listen to podcasts in their entirety. So I, I, I love to listen to Booger McFarlane. He was tremendous. I have a Booger story in a second for you. But at the end, you always mention, oh, John McDermott, Chris Corcoran. Like, you make sure to give those guys love. I would think that should count for something. One of the things I really enjoy writing about when I'm writing for The Athletic is behind-the-scenes people, producers. I, I find them actually a lot of times far more interesting than, the, than, than you know, front-facing talent like yourself. So whether it's Patrick Antonetti or Terrence Malagon or uh, Lou Pellegrino, my old producer, like, I, I find those people far more interesting than uh, – you know, the good hair crew like you and Chris Fowler. And now go ahead. With, oh, by the way, here's another thing I wanted to get before you give me your Booker McFarlane story. You love De Niro. I love De Niro. Have you ever cursed on a podcast? Have you ever dropped a fuck you like uh, De Niro did with Brian Stelter the other day? I haven't. It reminds me of when Joe Buck was one of your first guests, I want to say. And I think you actually set him up. You go, can you curse for me or give me your favorite curse word? And I believe Buck dropped an F-bomb right out of the gate. He did. And now, what is your, I mean, I know, I, unless this is sort of against your principles, what is your favorite curse word? Uh, you know, I, my, my, my mom and dad are going to listen to the podcast, so I don't, I don't feel like I want to be cursing. But I listen, the, the four-letter uh, expletive starting with F, I think, for, fits for so many different scenarios. Uh, let me just say this. That is the, your mom and dad, the chances of them listening to the sports media podcast literally are the same as, like, me flying on the Concord with John Skipper. I mean, come on, I know. <laughs> 
But I will say about when it comes to swearing, I, I do remember this tip that uh, Steve Cooley has told me this back when I was at the score. And, of course, you know my buddies, Sid and Tim and Cabby, my whole crew from the score. But Cooley has told me we used to have serious hardcore satellite radio, Richard Garner, Cam Stewart, et cetera. And, you know, we would do our yeah. stuff on the score, and they'd say, okay, you go on the radio, and you can curse here. And Cooley said to me, hey, he goes, hey, just because you can curse doesn't mean you should. And I was like, okay. He goes, like, people view you a certain way. This is Adnan Ver from Court Surfing, and he's on TV, and he's clean cut, et cetera. Vols and you start dropping F-bombs. It's kind of jarring. And I will admit, I, I do think there's something to that. Like, when I heard Buck curse on your podcast, I'm like, All right, I'm sure Joe Buck uses profanity, but it's a little, you know, a little jarring at first. I don't, I don't know if it's, it's, like, you know, endearing to some or it's off-putting, but I, I try to just refrain. By the way, did I ever ask you about uh... – my God, no one's going to listen to this podcast because it's just way too sort of inside this podcast. But did I ever ask you about how you felt about Jim Miller the time right after your uh, you, your I don't know how do you want to describe it firing or leaving ESPN when Jim Miller, who is a very mild mannered guy, like totally like went. Uh, uh, Tarantino basically and just oh, yeah. was like blasting like curses left and right. I, I couldn't. That's a guy who I'd never heard. Uh, drop an F-bomb, and then Miller's, like, giving fucks all over the place. That was incredible to <laughs> Well, me. I'll, t- I'll tell you what happened. I had listened to Marshan with Jimmy Traina. I- I- correct me in the timeline. I was fired on a Friday. Uh, Andrew writes it's Sunday. Monday, Marshan was with Jimmy, and I believe Jim Miller was with you Tuesday. So Monday's podcast, I remember uh, listening to it Tuesday morning. I'm making eggs for my kids. And it literally, Rich, it's like listening to your own funeral. Because they were, they were discussing me like in past tense. Like at one point, Jimmy asked Andrew, what was you know, Adnan's, what's, what's the reaction been? And Andrew said, well, he's a very well-liked guy. I mean, people like Adnan. He's a good guy. He's well-liked. He's, he's a good broadcaster. And you know, what, what are his job prospects? Well, they view him as this. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, a, I'm like a, a past, past person. You know I mean, like I'm no longer living. I'm like, this is just too, <laughs> right. this is just too surreal to listen to. So then I, I, I had no interest in listening to any more. And, and I didn't want to go online and read stuff because you and I both discussed. You drive yourself mental if you read everything people write about you. The next day, my friend Alpha Hillwan, Alpha messaged me and he goes, hey, you've got to be pumping your fist right now. I go, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm currently unemployed with four children. Like, I'm changing diapers. I'm, I'm terrified. It's been a traumatic experience. Like, what, are you, what am I pumping my fist about? And he goes, you've got to listen to Miller on Deitz's podcast. And I said, listen, I just listened to one of these. And, you know, all due respect to Andrew and Jimmy, I don't want to keep listening to people talk about me. And, I, you know, I, I've got, you know, lawyers. I've got, I've got other things to worry about. But then once I actually listened, I said, wow, this is pretty powerful because as you said jim's a pretty mild-mannered guy and it's not like i would ever met him before i'd never you know it's like we, people thought we went to camp together but he was um he was obviously very passionate and i appreciated both of you giving perspective which i think was very helpful i don't again you and i joke we're very self-deprecating i don't know who the hell's listening to this but i i would hope that uh, at least the way people viewed me those who listened to it at least felt uh, some sympathy or at least had a, had a bigger picture of what went down yeah, and listen, that was Miller, uh, like Capone, walking around the table with the bat. I, I mean, I just stayed, basically stayed, I stayed out of the way and just, uh, now that was a downloaded podcast, let me tell you. I mean, I cannot tell you how many people from ESPN and elsewhere um, uh, listen to that. All right, Adnan, before we get into all your jobs at DAZN, yeah. I do need to ask you this question. Um, what is your reaction to the fact that there have been no leaks at ESPN since you left? Literally no news has gotten out of that place. I mean... How do you re- how do you read how do you react to that, Adnan? What are your yeah. thoughts? Well, listen, you know, I, I as I said to Ben Strauss, the Washington Post, you know, I, I felt that you know their decision was made in part because they wanted to make an example out of me, and you know, even though as I, I stand by the fact, I don't think that. Uh, 
you know, the punishment fit the crime. And, you know, I thought it was a draconian decision. But, yes, to your point, I mean, if, if somebody feels like, hey, they got to send a message ever since Vercon, they've cleaned things up. And I guess uh, clearly that would be an erroneous thought because the information is always going to be disseminated in whatever form people choose to do it. I mean, listen, I'm totally being a dick, but I can't tell you how much uh, satisfaction and enjoyment I get from tweeting out, uh, you know, something to the effect of, uh, you know, the, the, great to see the leaks have ended. Uh, in the post at hand, Verky or at ESPN, <laughs> when literally like that day, there's a story clearly leaked by somebody at ESPN about one of their people for whatever reason. Uh, so there you go. You're correct. It was a, an absurd decision by them. You don't have to comment on this. And the punishment did not fit the crime. And uh, incredibly enough, ESPN's business has survived after that uh, baseball tonight information uh, got out there. I mean, we're talking like, you know, Ukraine-like level uh, information out there. But uh, so there we go. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Adnan, let us talk about something more positive, and that is your big star turn now at DAZN. You have way too many jobs, in my opinion. You, you, you're hosting Change Up the MLB Whip Around show, you're in charge uh, or you're charged with uh, hosting the network's boxing coverage when like Triple G comes on. Then on top of that, you're hosting at the MLB network. And now I've just heard that you've added the NHL network onto your resume. So in your post ESPN world, Adnan, uh, it seems like things are going great for you. You're incredibly busy and working for some, you know, having some very interesting assignments. Yeah, it's been phenomenal, Rich. I got to tell you, personally and professionally, uh, I'm having a blast, man. Um, first of all, let's go personally, because as you know, as a former guy who lived in New York, what a great city this is, and it's the best. I now live in Hohokus, New Jersey, which is an incredible name. It is a real place. It's right next to Ridgewood, birthplace of two of your favorites, Brian Williams on MSNBC and Jason Hayward of the Chicago Cubs. But it's a wonderful area, very tranquil. We've been very welcomed by uh, all the people there. And, you know, I'm coaching one of my kids' soccer games, and it's great. But nice, lavish home. And we're 35 minutes from, as you know, one of the greatest cities in the world in Manhattan. So, personally, we're doing great. And, and Alec Baldwin is a guy I've always admired, minus the anger management issues. I don't want to, like, fight people over parking spaces. But my goal was always to have more jobs than kids, just like Alec Baldwin. I believe his wife, Hilaria, is now expecting their fifth. So we are now at four boys. Uh, so the Verk clan is, as always, expanding. But I'd like to have more jobs than children. And incredibly, as you mentioned, I've been blessed to be able to say that. So as you mentioned, DAZN, Change Up on DAZN, which is our baseball show. The boxing coverage, Triple G, this Saturday at MSG. I'll be doing the Canelo fight as well in Las Vegas, November 2nd, hosting that with a great team, Brian Kenny, Sergio Mora, Chris Mannix, you know Mannix from SI, uh, Todd Grisham. I mean, we have a great crew, Claudia Trejos. And um, after that, as you mentioned, MLB Network, today I'm actually host, co-hosting The Rundown with Alexa Datt, who's a huge Nationals fan, so she's fired up after Juan Soto came through last night. I'll be doing a ton of MLB tonight in October, so postseason coverage will be there. And as you mentioned, yesterday was the NHL Network Seminar, 
So I'm going to be hanging out with Jameson Coyle and Tony Luffman and a fellow Canadian Jackie Redmond, ex of Sportsnet, and uh, got to see Mike Rupp and Brian Lawton and the NHL crew. In addition to that, our Cadence 13 work, the GM Shuffle, me and Lombardi, and of course Cinephile. And I should also mention, Rich, I'm out and also now freelancing for MLB Network Radio on Sirius. So actually, I'll be on today from 5 to 6 p.m. solo hosting that show. I've got some more shifts coming up there. So, And all dovetails back to one of our first conversations was you asked me, what is it like being a generalist at ESPN? And what does that mean? And I can now give you a better answer, which is that it's not good. <laughs> because the world, the world today now is very specialized. Nobody just listens to top 40 music. Nobody just watches the evening news. Certainly not anybody under the age of 40, let's say. Now you've got to be a specialist. Just like the way baseball has become more specialized, and a guy comes in just to face one batter, and the next guy comes in to face one batter, and, and you have guys who are purely home run hitters. Similarly now, in the world that we work, you've got to be a specialist. So it helps to be able to say Adnan Burke does baseball, MLB Network, DAZN, and MLB Network Radio on Sirius. He also likes the NFL. He's got a podcast with Lombardi. He also likes boxing with DAZN. He also likes the NHL Network. It's, you know, MLB and NHL Network are partners, and, and all of our studio coverage here for DAZN is done through MLB Network and NHL Network, so that partnership is there. But, you know, in the past, if you said, what's that guy do at ESPN? Oh, he does college football, he does college basketball, he does baseball, he fills in the radio. Yeah, Golik and Wingo, he's buddies with Rosillo. I, I, I don't think it works, man. It's a better way now to be able to say you're a specialist. This is what this guy focuses on. People are not listening on the radio to, to like I said, Top 40. They want to hear 90s on 9. They want to hear Simply Sinatra. They want to hear the stuff that they're into. So I've been very blessed and very lucky, man. And then what are the... You know, outside of the fact that obviously it's just it's far less people, it's a smaller operation. What are the differences between working for DAZN and working at ESPN? Well, it's interesting. You know, as you know, I had the relatively humble beginnings. Uh, even though I was born in Toronto, I grew up in a small town. From ages 11 to 18, I lived in Morvan, Ontario, population 500. Our neighbors were livestock. So when I actually, you know, worked at, in sports television, it was amazing to me. I ever got a job at the score that I ever worked for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, Raptors TV and Leafs TV. It was so good. And then to work at ESPN, which is the biggest behemoth on the block for nine years. I mean, it's incredible. Like, you're living a dream life. But where some might say, oh, he's taking a step back, no, by going to DAZN, I look at one of John Skipper's quotes, which I think was fabulous. And listen, Skipper's one of the all-time greats. I mean, you, you should have him on the podcast. You know how engaging he is. You know the way talent speaks about him. He's just a fun guy to yeah, listen to. And, and and he, and let, yeah. let me just stop you there. I've been down this road with DAZN. DAZN knows that, I, that I'm going to ask or would ask Skipper certain questions. That, that podcast is not happening. So right. I appreciate you, you know, you're, you're putting your Greg Domino. Is that how I pronounce the PR guy's name there? <laughs> Well, let's the get minute. Chris How do I pronounce his name? Yeah. No, no, how but, do I pronounce Greg's last name? No, you're right. Greg Domino. You got Chris Legentle, our great PR team. Very trained, Legentil, very good yeah. guys. That, yeah. I will say this. Let me say something about Legentle, and I think you'll agree with me. Uh, doesn't that guy look like an actor? Like he's 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 sort of far too way too um, good looking for the job. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, that's yeah. What I he always has, think. Yeah. Yeah, he's got too much of a presence to be a PR guy. He should. I feel like that guy should be. Uh, in like the Hunger Games four or something like that. Would you agree? <laughs> he like has, he, he, he's he has an impeccable bone structure. Like he's got just like a very yeah. chiseled face. He's got great hair. You're right. When I, when I said he's the PR guy, I said, "Wow, these his own people are pretty good looking." Like you're in trouble. When the better looking guys are off camera. But uh, he's no, like from are, he's like he's like from 
Yeah, he's like from District One of the Hunger Games, if you remember the Hunger Games, when they, you know, they breed the incredible humans. That's 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 Chris. I feel like. Yeah. Anyway, My goal I digress. Always right, be so in favor of the zone PR. You're not going to talk about Bill Hoffheimer or Chris Laplante. No, I like I liked. Yeah. Oh, hot, yeah. well, you're, you, I will say this: this podcast is a little like Bill Hoffheimer in that you're praising everybody, but that's just you. Anyway, <laughs> I, I interrupted you about you were you were in the middle of basically. Uh, proclaiming John Skipper to be uh, Malala and uh, that great Swedish uh, climate change activist. So continue yeah. to go so on. So like I said, John, he had a quote in one of the articles about him in which he said, you know, there's a lot more fun in being an insurgent rather than being an incumbent. And I think that's a wonderful turn of phrase, which is also accurate. So when you go from being one of the big boys in the block to all of a sudden being someone who's trying to storm the gates and trying to charge up the castle, there's something uh, enervating about that. There's something energizing about that. You know, you feel rejuvenated by it. It's okay, this is a fresh challenge. Let's see what we can tackle here. Let's try to chip away this building mortar by mortar. So I think with the zone, as you might imagine, it's more laid back. It's more freewheeling. They're more open to ideas and creativity. Um, it's certainly an environment which I think fosters all those things. And listen, I'm working with a guy named Scott Rogowski, who's a comedian. Like, I've worked with former analysts, guys like Aaron Boone and Alex Cora, who are now managers and, and you know, very talented guys. I've worked with Jesse Palmer and Joey Galloway. And, and I've worked with fellow anchors, people that I love, like Max Bredos and, you know, the Steve Weissmans, who's flourishing at Tennis Channel. Max, by the way, doing great with LAFC and soccer. But I've never actually worked, Rich, with a comedian five days a week. Like, literally, Rogowski comes out, he's like De Niro. You know, he's like Rupert Pupkin. This is king of comedy. He just comes out here looking to drop bombs every day. And in addition to being a diehard baseball fan and a guy who loves the sport, particularly, you know, he collected cards his whole life, which has now re-sparked my love of the fact that I had so many early 90s cards. By the way, if anybody has any early 90s cards, Rogowski has informed me those are all worthless, oversaturation. They made way too many cards. That's why the market completely – so I was counting, Rich, this is going to get my kids through college one day. Because, yeah, that 1991 upper deck collection is worth nothing. So I'm like, all right, that's good to know. But uh, it's been fun, man. Like, like I said, they, they let us do a lot of things. And, and I think the co-partnership with MLB Network has really worked. I, I think you know that when you're starting something new, you've got to have some fabric in place. Again, you've got to have some mortar and foundation. So it wasn't just like, hey, DAZN's going to start this baseball show and away we go. No, it's a co-production with MLB Network. So we're going to have Harold Reynolds and Dan Plesak and Mark DeRosa and you know, all those types of guests who are already here in the building just popping by and making an appearance. So it's not only been Skipper and Jamie Horowitz who have been – Obviously, guys who I know and great to work with, but also, you know, Rob McLary and Dave Patterson, all the MLB crew. And again, you're going to mock me for, for throwing out b- bouquets of flowers. But when I started at ESPN, you know, I'm an unknown commodity, right? I'm just this Canadian, one of 50 anchors. You're just trying to find a, a path you can swim in and, and hopefully things will work out. You don't ruffle feathers. And oh my God, there's Chris Berman in the hallway. I just want to say hello to him. And Mike Greenberg's getting his nose powdered. I don't want to be too obtrusive. I just want to say hello. Here, like everybody couldn't have been more welcoming. Like Chris Rose got my number from somebody, texted me right away. Lauren Shahadi's wonderful. She DMs you right away. Here's my number. Uh, anything you need. I know you got kids. Uh, Greg Amsinger's hilarious. Every time I see him in the hall, he makes me laugh. Kelly Nash. I mean, everybody here has been so warm and welcoming. So it's a really interesting combination of not only what I experienced at ESPN, because, by the way, there's a lot of ESPN people here. A lot of the producers, coordinating producers, are, like, making jokes about Bristol and Plainville, Connecticut. We all can relate to, you know, the exciting – I don't want to hurt the uh, tourism of central Connecticut, but just the fact that, it's, you know, it's not the most populous happening place, and now all of a sudden we're 30 minutes from New York City. But 
there's a lot of ESPN folks here as far as CPs and producers. And by the way, that's a testament to ESPN, the kind of talent that they breed, particularly behind the scenes, that so many creative people end up, you know, taking the smarts and the skills they learn to come over here and, and operate. So it's been a really good mix, man, MLB Network and zone of, of new people. And, and like I said, my crew, Rogowski, Lauren Gardner, I don't know how much you know the Cespas barbecue guys, Jordan and Jake, but anybody who says baseball's dying or baseball's not good for, you know, young people, those guys are in their early 20s. They're as big a baseball fans as, as I've ever met. So we're having a blast. Yeah, and I stopped listening to that answer after, like, the fifth name drop, to be very honest. All right. <laughs> the, um, let me ask you this, though. Do you, um, do you miss the scale at all of the ESPN? Obviously, DAZN has an audience, and they're growing, and yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, you know, when you're on ESPN, the one thing that you know is that, you know, you're reaching thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions sometimes, depending on your uh, product or show, and that you're part of the conversation of sports daily so what's that been like and maybe it's not as bad for you because you're older and you sort of settled in your career and you I think for all of us if we get older sort of our ego um channels down a little bit but what's that been like what's that been like to sort of uh lose the scale of an ESPN well, like I said, there's only one ESPN, right? Everyone knows those are the big boys in the block. And, and certainly those four letters will always get someone's attention. Like even my wife joked me the other day. She said, you know, before I could just tell the neighbors you worked at ESPN, you see their faces light up. Now if I say zone, okay, what is that? Okay, it's a streaming service. I have to explain more things. All right, MLB Network, okay, they understand. Oh, it's a baseball channel. Okay, great. But I said, and I, I'm completely with you on the age aspect. I think if I was 30, it definitely would have affected my ego more. And I said, oh, my God, like once I was – I would think of Sinatra, right? That's life. You know, riding high in April, shot down in May. And I think, oh, my God, no one's ever going to know me. I'm going to live a life of obscurity. But as I mentioned, Brett Oss, I mean, I saw him yesterday in Manhattan. And we went to some bar right around uh, Union Square. And Diego, one of the guys in the restaurant, recognized me. Oh, aren't you on TV? you a guy from ESPN. I'm like, all right, we'll just go ahead and let this ride for a little while. But it's not like people will forget you. But the, the equivalent I make it to is acting. Right? There are actors who have a hit TV show for five or six years, and they never reach that high. So the rest of their lives, people go, oh, you're Jason Priestley. You're from Beverly Hills 90210. Even though he did a show called Call Me Fitz, a big hit in Canada, my friend Hussein was great on it. Priestley's now in the rebooted Beverly Hills, whatever it is. People will recognize you for some signature property, which did very well. Rogowski was the host of HQ Trivia, which was a massive hit. Literally like hundreds of millions of people were watching it. So, you know, he's riding on an airplane the other day, and he said, Mark Sanchez recognized him. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're at ESPN now. Call Oh, All right, oh, what am I doing? Oh, I'm doing this change up show. Oh, wait, you're the HQ trivia guy. So I think if I'm younger, maybe to affect my ego more, when you get older, you say, listen, man, I just want to have a job that's fun. I want to be able to work with people that I enjoy. I want to make sure my family's taken care of, financial security, et cetera. And I want to be a part of something that's growing. So I, I, I understand the question. I completely agree with you that I think if I was younger at a different place in my life, maybe, maybe if I didn't have kids, right? Maybe if I was single, it would affect me more. I wouldn't have as much happiness with my family and, and other things that are more important than just how many people are watching. And the one thing I'll say this about ratings and people watching, and you know this is well as I do. I get to host the college football national championship post-game show, right? There's no game day after the game. Our show, me and Jesse and Joey and me and Danny Cannell and Joey, we would do college football finals. So someone said to you, hey, man, you get to host the post-game show after the college football playoff. That's great. And we would host the halftime of the Cotton Bowl and got 5 million people watching. All right. 
But nobody gives you a bonus for the rating point. You know what I mean? No, nobody says, all right, because Virk was the host, you're getting X amount of dollars. The credo always at ESPN, and they were correct, which was people are watching the games. They're not watching it for you. Now, you can perhaps enhance the experience or supplement it, but I remember Tariko said in your podcast years ago, and he was bang on. He goes, listen, the most important person is the analyst in those, those situations. The second most important is the producer. The third most important is the host. So, I mean, Virk was very irrelevant to those numbers being raked in. And, yeah, I guess it's cool that I'm going to sub and the guy's recognizing he saw me hosting the Notre Dame halftime, but it doesn't actually equate in terms of either you know financial rewards or whatever rewards you're looking for. So I, I agree with you that it's a pertinent question, but it's not something that's really affected me. I'll be honest. No, I think that's a. I feel like that's a. Um, that's a pretty good answer. One of the things that I think people are curious about at the zone, and obviously this would be more of a question for the skipper level, is their interest in expanding into other sports, whether it be the NHL, obviously the dream is the NFL. One, do you get a sense that this is going to happen? And two, in terms of being a talent at this place, would that give you thought to try to stay for a while in the event that they go beyond their boxing inventory right now and they go beyond their um, change-up show, sort of the wraparound show, and maybe, you know, one day DAZN has, you know, it's never going to be the big package in the NFL. It's never going to be the big package in the NHL. But if you guys get some live content, I feel like you'd be in a great position to maybe host that package. And, you know, that then really, I feel like, changes the equation. That's where audience may come. Well, I agree, man. I, I think it would be a dream if we can get the NFL. I mean, we, we can be perfectly candid about it. There's, there's no bigger sport in the country, and obviously I love the sport, doing the pod with Lombardi. And we do have, as you know, NFL rights back home in Canada. And um, I've been very, you know, forthright about talking to Jamie Horowitz and our folks. And I go, listen, if there's anything I can do, if I can cover the Super Bowl for DAZN Canada, if I can, you know, do hits for our Red Zone package up there, like I'd love to do it. Fly me up, or I can do it here from Secaucus and Jersey and because I love the sport and I want to be a part of it. And you're right. If, if the zone can get streaming rights to the NFL or live rights to games, whatever it could be, I'm with you. I think that's a game changer. I, I mean, I think already with boxing, you've seen that we've made a sizable imprint by getting such big names, but, but absolutely. If you can get football, that'd be great. And again, I think it helps than having bosses who know your pedigree. So since I've got guys who know my work, like John Skipper and Jamie Horowitz, and they're well aware of what I've done, I, I'm with you. I would think if we got an NFL package that said, well, clearly, Virk has done this. He's got a reputation. We, you know, we, we trust him, and we know he's not going to make a, a mockery of the product, and he'll have fun with it and be a professional. So I agree with you, man. I, I, I hope that day comes. It'd be great. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And let me ask. Let me give uh, some. Uh, let me give the listeners a little inside baseball here. We were supposed to start this podcast uh, about 25 minutes before it did. Have you gotten to the point where, you know, you feel like your star is sort of at the level of a Berman, a Musburger, a Scully, where you can, you know, you sort of can make your own schedule. You come and do a podcast when Adnan Verk wants to do a podcast. I wish you'd said Oberman, because you know he's my broadcasting idol and the guy I most revere. So, yeah, am I at the level of Keith? No, never, because no one will ever be him. Mossberger, no, again, he's at a different level. 
I don't think we're quite where you're reaching, but we're definitely upward trajectory. Like in the past, that first time I did the podcast, as you know, I came to New York City to meet you. I was there in person. I wanted to make sure the audio quality was good. I got my eight hours of sleep. That was nice. Right. Now I'm in my office, you know, trying to multitask here, putting in stuff for the rundown. I'm on the landline. I might pull a Rosillo on you at one point and say I've got to get in some gym time. So, yes, has, has my pedigree become inflated along with my ego? I would say the answer to that is yes. By the way, let's talk about Rosilla for a second. Sure. Um, there, first of all, there's a guy who ESPN totally, I mean, you want to talk about a talent that they blew it on like multiple times. They, didn't, they had no clue what kind of audience this guy had and how many people were interested in his content, first on the radio and then on audio. They totally uh, basically gave Stephen A. Smith his time slot um, and sort of gave Stephen A. favored nation status uh, in lieu of Rosillo. They never really figured out how to use the guy. Now he goes to the ringer, and obviously he's writing screenplays and stuff, and he's got like one of the top five or ten podcasts out there. It's clear he's got a massive audience. That's one that they blew. I mean, whether you like Rosillo or not, whether you like his content, whether you think he's interesting, or whether you think he's sort of like, you know, an overgrown frat boy. The point is, he's got a big audience, and people like what he has to say. And and I like him. I, I find him honest. I've talked to him many times uh you know, sort of offline, and and uh, and I feel like he's pretty self-aware, even of his own uh, bullshit at times. But how did they blew that ad? Now, I mean, obviously, I think they blew it with you too. But that's one they had a guy right in front of them who had a big audience in the demo they want, and they let him walk out the door. That's 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 a miss to me. Yeah, the two words that always come to mind, Rich, when it comes to Ryan, are perennially underrated. He was that guy that you say. In many ways, he's a glue guy there. He could literally do any radio show in the building. And as he had told me many a time, working in sports media, and you now know this, doing radio, whether it's, you know, whether it was with Bob McCowan or whether it's with you know, Jeff Blair, whomever it is now that, that Dave Cadeau's got you on the rotation, you know that it's a lot easier when you get somebody to bat the tennis ball back and forth with. When you're solo, it's incredibly difficult. And Ryan could do a right. solo show. He could play with Van Pelt. He could be leading the show. If I was there, he could do it with Canel. Like the, those are a lot of different hats that you're wearing within a media that I think you and I would both agree is more challenging. If you said degree of difficulty, if you were teaching students with Jane McManus and they say, well, what's easier, a TV anchor or a radio host? You go, radio, it's not even well, close. I, I mean, that end, the, 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 the name drops at this point. I mean, I'm impressed. The, you, you, have, the, you are going really deep. When you drop a Jane McManus, that's going deep in the well. <laughs> she, she was the last guest on the podcast, okay? I know you guys are good friends. By the way, one time, again, you always know this, the, the biggest highlight of my life working at ESPN was I got to fill in for Olbermann. I filled in from 25 shows, his show on ESPN one time we had Jane McManus as a guest. When she walked into the studio and you see the giant sign Oberman and you see my stupid face sitting there, you, you could make a movie about the look of sadness on her face. I, I don't often use this adjective. She was crestfallen when she saw my face. And I just, I, I'm sorry. Well, know, I she, mean, you know, on the one hand, I guess if you like this stuff, you are getting some nice airtime on ESPN. But yeah, I mean, if, if oh, and, I'm not, and I'm not, listen, I, I respect Oberman's career, but I'm not, I'm not like you. I'm not. You know, I'm not genuflecting at the the guy walking down the street, but maybe yeah, if you're Jane McManus and you go to your first Oscar party and you're hoping to sit next to a Michelle Pfeiffer or Charlize Theron or you know Meryl Streep, and you know you end up with the, the you know that kid from um, what's that Ed O'Neill show with all the all the modern, oh, modern yeah you end up yeah. with that little kid from yeah, you end up with that little kid from Modern Family. I mean, you know, nice actor, good, seems like a sweet kid, but you know, you yeah. want you want Streep, right? You want 
You want to beat the big kids' table, so I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can definitely appreciate it. By the way, James still knocked out of the park. She was a consummate pro. But, but back to Rosillo. Listen, he's so happy, Rich. I'm going to do his podcast actually tomorrow. So you can go ahead and call me a podcast wow. whore at this point. Yeah, Ryan. Well, you know, he wants to talk with the Irishman, which he's read the book, which was written by uh, Charles Brandt. I was going to say Andrew Brandt, by the way, speaking of name drops. Love him. He's a huge Federer guy like me. Every time Federer does anything, Andrew Brandt is right there with me, tweeting the entire time. We're still pissed about Wimbledon. By the way, anyway. do, you know, do you know your boy? You know your boy Michael Wilbon basically in like 2010 said Federer was done or 2008 or something like literally like said that's it no more for Federer he's he's done I think he's yeah. literally won like 10 Grand Slams after uh, after Michael Wilbon called and by the way speaking of Ryan Rosilla that listen no one's gonna listen to this Adnan I'm gonna be very honest with you. but the 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 Rosilla one be on your A game for that because that's hundreds of thousands of listeners which one could sell some DAZN subs but two more importantly. Might help you with the Cadence 13 crew, a cinephile. You know, yeah, you might be able to get some people to, to push over there. Right. And I, listen, I, candidly, I know Brazil likes baseball, but I don't think he really wants to ask me my thoughts on the Braves bullpen. I think he really just wants to talk about movies and whatever else he's into. Maybe we'll talk a little bit of Raptors. I Hopefully we get some NBA stuff over here at zone. That would be nice. By the way, what's it like living in the city of champions? You're living in the city of champions with the Raptors now. It is a great city. Can you talk a little media, though? I feel like that would – I think people would really dig that, to hear you and Rosillo talk sports media. You guys both have very interesting stories. I think so. Knowing Rosillo, again, as you said, what's another word that comes to mind with Rosillo? Honest. Like, he is unvarnished. He, he will let you know his opinion. And if I team up by saying, hey, Ron, I think you're friendly underrated at speed, I'm sure he will take that meat off the bone and start chewing because uh, I'm with you, man. He's a super talent. And, and, again, here's the thing. As you pointed out, whether you like him or not is actually immaterial. The point is this. Look at his downloads. Like, look at his popularity. You, you can tell people, oh, oh I think yeah. works. Right? Like, the proof is in the pudding, and his numbers are undeniable. That is a very popular guy. Whatever he's got to say, people are into. Yeah, and I will say, this was way back in the SI day, but uh, the podcast I had him on with, it was almost like a therapy session. It was one of the best uh, podcasts I ever did because it just felt like uh, uh, a guy who was just sort of letting it out. and Not, not that he was going scorched earth. It was just sort of like a combination of like uh, therapy and, and sort of stream of conscious honesty. I, I enjoyed that. I always appreciated Rosillo. Um, doing that in my podcast. All right, Adam, because you were so late, I have to go. Is there anything else that you want to promote or is there anything else you want to mention? Normally, I would want to go 40, 50 minutes with you, but uh, but I cannot do that because of your, um, you know, your, your sort of, uh, how do I set a phrase? Yeah, yeah, your head of state-like behavior earlier. Uh, can we just uh, discuss very quickly Bianca Andreescu? All right. Speaking of tennis, she sure, is tennis, tennis royalty, and I am so happy and so proud. We have a tennis champion. All those years, Rich, I was proclaiming the greatness of Daniel Nestor in doubles action, dropping a <laughs> Carling Bassett Saguso on the people. We thought Jeannie Bouchard nice. was the next great hope. No, no. Bianca did it. She dethroned Serena right here at the U.S. Open in Queens. It was incredible. One of the great moments as a Canadian tennis fan. I never thought I'd see it. It was awesome. And I was told you were a big Greg Rudesky fan. Like once he <laughs> moved from England to I don't Canada, know you, you yeah, jumped on that bandwagon. That that's got to be from Sixero and McAuliffe. By the way, why weren't you at Cabby's wedding? My dear friend, I've known him for 23 years. We went to college together at Ryerson. When I went to his wedding back in August in Toronto, it was like the sports media dinner. Are you kidding? We had, we had Natasha Stanisevsky, Kate Burness, Tim McAuliffe. I mean, all the stars Ooh, were on. I said, what, love it. Deitch, Deitch couldn't sneak in an invite here? No, I'm, first of all, I mean, those are very well-known people in Canada. I'm not part of that uh, that group. But I have gotten to know some Sportsnet people like uh, Carly Agro and Caroline Cameron and and obviously, uh, you know, McCowan and uh, Blair and 
you know, Stephen Braun. So yeah, I mean, my my um, my Canadian, you know, I'm getting to know some of the 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 major players in Canada. But no, I'm not at that level where I'm going to get invited to to anyone's uh, wedding. But those are some good names. I you know I I am kind of surprised that Kate Bierness has not left Canada for the states. Seems like to me that I could see her if she was interested. And making that jump do it. Although, and I've had this conversation with Julie Stewart Binks and you as well. It is total bullshit that, unfortunately, too many Canadian sports media people buy into that somehow you have to go to the States to make it. Mm-hmm. It's all, you know this, it's all bullshit. It's Sportsnet and TSN, they're doing the same stuff that ESPN does. Uh, they're doing it with incredibly talented people. Maybe the money's a little bit less, but you're working in a great environment. You're in an incredible city in Toronto. I mean, come on. You, you would give up Toronto to live in the... You know, to to live in um, Jimmy Pataro's outhouse? I mean, that's crazy to me. <laughs> well, we mentioned Julie Stewart-Binks. By the way, props to her. I'm going to do her show in a couple of weeks as I continue my media blitz. Her of, show of on FUBU, Call yeah. It a Night with Julie Stewart-Binks. Brett Austin did it last night, so I'm doing that in a couple of weeks. But you're right. There's, unfortunately, that Canadian inferiority complex, you never really made it unless you did it in the States, which is ridiculous. Every time I go back home, I visit my parents in Maple. I love watching The National. For years, it was Peter Mansers. Now it's my man, Ian Hannah-Mansing. That's the best news show going. I said, you can throw up CNN, MSN, right? The National on CBC is as good as it gets if you want informed smart reporting it's great agreed amazing it's amazing yeah i'm with you i again i i feel like i have a unique perspective as an american now living in canada that that whole inferiority complex i'm only speaking specifically to broadcast i'm not going to make any generalizations it's all bullshit it's all bullshit if you've made it in canada at like one of these highest levels of like tsn sports that you have made it so you don't need to go to espn to uh you know host uh, college football live at like uh, 3 30 like you did on Saturday. So you can talk for the 18,000th time of a Washington state. You know what I'm saying? Enough. <laughs> and, and by the way, somebody, somebody asked you that the other day. They go, you're missing college football. I go, I'll let you in on a little secret here. I wasn't the biggest fan, okay? I was kind of miscast. I'm a Canadian. I'm from Ontario. I didn't, I didn't grow up with the Iron Bowl like Reese Davis. I just did whatever, you know, Lee Fitting and Bill Graff told me to do. But no, I, I, I always felt miscast at ESPN. And to your point, it, maybe it's better to be in an area. I grew up with baseball and hockey. Here I am, MLB Network, NHL Network, DAZN, et cetera. To, to your point, it's very hard to go do something else. James Duffy told me that years ago. He goes, I don't know how you do that college football, man. I don't even know where Ole Miss is on the map. <laughs> All right, and listen, I give this appearance a B plus. It was very solid, maybe even an A minus. I mean, a lot of name dropping, and that's going to be very difficult for my listeners to take. But you brought energy, as you always do. You brought enthusiasm. You as you were willing to talk about ESPN and some of the nonsense that went on there. You gave us some insight into Rosillo and others, and I appreciate it very much. I thought you'd be really happy, by the way, with the Andrew Brandt mention. I thought that was a pretty good one. Not bad. I, I always I, I feel like a Michael McCann mention would have been a little more obscure, but the Brant one is. <laughs> oh, solid. you know what? I will give you a McCann because again, in the midst of everything I was going through, that was a very surreal moment. I said, "I Michael McCann wrote an article examining the Verk legal case." I said, "Oh my God, Michael McCann is devoting you know five thousand words to me." I said, "I got to send this to my lawyer. This is good stuff from McCann." I know we used to do that all the time. Basically, if I if I can get McCann on an ESPN piece, one, it would make me look smarter, and two, I know it would bother the hell out of Bristol. So it's fantastic. All right, Adnan Verk is the host of DAZN's Changeup. That is their MLB Whip Around show. He's hosting the network's boxing coverage. Um, you know, whenever Triple G or whoever else that uh, John Skipper has paid is fighting. He's, he's got the MLB network gig. He's doing MLB network radio. He has coming up the NHL network where he will be a host. He has the Lombardi podcast. What is the name of that again? I, I the GM notice. Shuffle. The GM Shuffle. And then he has Cinephile. So, I mean, he has an incredible media empire going. 
one of our favorite guests on this podcast. I'm excited to see his success continue. Adnan Verk, thank you very much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. You're a good man, Rich. I appreciate it. I hope we got more downloads than Booger. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Ivan Maisel has covered college football for ESPN since 2002. He, uh, I think his formal title is senior writer, and you can find his work on ESPN.com as well as sort of all over ESPN's uh, audio and digital and television initiatives, also on ESPN radio and podcast. And uh, for anybody who is a college football fan listening to this podcast, they know one of the most respected college football voices in the country. John Dahl is an ESPN vice president of special projects and original content. There's nothing better than ESPN executives who have seriously the longest titles in the history of the medium. John, though, is a good guy. He's uh, long been associated with ESPN films and for years was um, one of the point people on 30 for 30. I've uh, talked to him many times, a very, very talented guy. And we welcome both Ivan and John to the sports media podcast. Guys, thank you very much for popping on. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. You got it. One of uh, John is in Bristol today. Ivan is in Mobile, Alabama. And John, I'm going to start with you. Um, the reason I have you guys on is uh, what ESPN is sort of doing for college football's 150th anniversary season. And it's very impressive. Um, the amount of resources that you guys have put towards this. I mean, it is numerous. I, I could sort of give a recitation for all the content that you have planned I think it probably would be better coming from you. So let me sort of just let's just start with an overview as as sort of best as you can. Um, what is sort of the company's overview f- regarding the content that you're putting out to celebrate or signify college football's 150th anniversary season? Well, I mean, we've had um, the support from the early days. It goes back honestly six years. Uh, I was finishing up the uh, Book of Manning documentary that we were doing and taking note of the 100 decals on the helmets of the players in Archie Manning's era and uh, decided to look into that. What was what was that all about? And, and soon learned about the centennial of college football being celebrated in 1969. And uh, honestly, at that point, just did a little math, added 50, and saw that 2019 could be a great opportunity at some point to do something really special, something unprecedented around college football and the story of the 150 years of the sport. It's a sport like unlike any other in our country. And so um, it was it was years in the making, what we're doing now with the SPN College Football 150, literally years in the making to get to where we are now with, with all the content. And there was a point where uh, I was going independently of Ivan. Uh, Ivan, as it turned out, was uh, aware of this anniversary and was on his own track thinking about it. And at some point, uh, he and I were brought together <laughs> to, uh, to take this yeah. to the next level. And that's what we did. I, uh, I emailed John Skipper in January of 2014 and said, hey, not for nothing, but five years from now, you know, when do you want me to start annoying you about this? And 
And he wrote back immediately and said, great idea, three years out. And so I just <laughs> twiddled my thumbs for a couple of years. And then somebody, uh, David Duffy, who's been my editor for many years, and a terrifically talented guy, said, hey, I think John Dahl's sniffing around 150. And that was in early 2016. So John and, and I found one another and started planning and spitballing. All right. This could. This is either for either of you. Um, but to give the listeners who um, haven't seen the content yet a sense of what's out there, I mean, again, as an overview, there are, uh, I mean, a number of documentaries that sort of focus on different themes of college football, whether you know integration, um, you know, players, games, etc. There's audio stuff. There's clearly, and I even if you want to go into this, you can. There's a committee that you guys have that essentially is sort of, I guess, deciding the greatest players in the history of the sport or the greatest games in the history of the sport. Um, and if you're an ESPN consumer, it seems that you can get this on multiple mediums. Uh, I could sort of start with you, Ivan. You want to sort of give a little bit of a breakdown of what people can find and where? The hallmarks of the, of the project, there are three television series, Tuesday nights on ESPN, The American Game, 11-week series, we explore a different theme of the game each week rather than deal with the sport chronologically. Uh, integration was this week. Uh, we've, we've done the evolution of the sport. We've done the culture of the sport, why people uh, came to it. You know, coming up, we've got everything from uh, the relationship between colleges and the pros to rivalries to games of the century uh, to the Heisman, there's 11 weeks. Uh, on Thursday nights, there is a half-hour show, The Greatest, which we take a theme, a category related to that theme, and we have we assembled a panel of 11 ESPN college football uh, experts, and we debate the greatest fill-in-the-blank. This week, related to integration, was the greatest inspiring moments which we decided that Ernie Davis winning the Heisman, the first African-American uh, at Syracuse in 1961, the greatest inspiring moment. You are, feel free to differ. Uh, the SEC network is doing a eight week, 12 uh, hour history of the SEC Saturdays in the South. Fritz Mitchell is directing. It's a very, each of these series is very different in approach uh, which is a nice way to, to create the mosaic. This is a more Ken Burnsian approach by Fritz Mitchell, who is just so talented. Uh, so those are the big TV projects. Uh, I did a podcast series down in distance, uh, all of which have dropped uh, eight different stories about the history of the game. Uh, we, and as you alluded to, we are, we assembled a panel of, 150 people in the sport, former coaches, players, administrators, writers, broadcasters, uh, and we've had them select the 150 greatest programs, which we posted earlier this season. Uh, we've got coming up the greatest games, the greatest coaches, and the greatest players, and, and alongside within that vote of the 150 greatest players, we had them select from that vote we are assembling the all-time all-america team 25 players one at each position john what did i leave out 
Well, I mean, you know, you, you hear popular numbers here, right? 11 and 150. I mean, 11, we went with 11, not as an ode to spinal tap, but really um, that's a football number. <laughs> 11 on offense, 11 on defense. So when we couldn't get to 150 with something, we would settle often on 11. So, um, yeah, we've got the 150 greatest teams, players, coaches, games, the all-time All-America team. But, yeah, those, those greatest episodes are all about top 11s. Um, and at the core of it, too, uh, is this notion of wanting to have 150 days of original content. So 150 consecutive days from August 17th, as it turned out, a Saturday, that was convenient, through uh, January 13th, 2020, when the CFP championship game is played. We've got original content every single day as part of that. And the film event that that Ivan alluded to is big. The eight-part, 12-hour uh, history of SEC football, Saturdays in the South, is, is huge. And that takes a more chronological approach, as Ivan said. We got the two docu-series, 11 weeks each. We also had an opening and closing documentary directed by uh, John Hawk of 30 for 30 fame. John did the Football is Us, uh, the college game documentary, to lead us off on that week zero where we had a special opening to the season a week earlier than normal when Miami and Florida played. We had a doubleheader that day, game day at Disney. We had the close, the, you know, the uh, documentary, uh, John Hawk's documentary, uh, to close out the day. Um, that was a day that didn't even exist, you know, a year ago or any other season. Um, so we have a closing doc from John as well. Uh, football's us, the college players. So all in all, it's over 38 hours of original content that we're rolling out. Yeah, listen, it's very ambitious and very impressive. I saw the. Uh... I told this to Ivan before we taped. I saw the American Game integration episode, which was really, really interesting. Uh, well done, honest. Uh, you know, whether Todd Boyd or Sam Cunningham, Sylvester Croom, uh, I think really, really interesting for fans and gives them a sense. I think my only criticism so far, Ivan, of this project is there's just too many ESPNers faces I'm seeing on television. <laughs> let's 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 drop some of those people and uh, you know share the wealth. You know, honestly, honestly, Richard, I've had people within the company complain to me that they weren't included. So uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I mean, there's, as you know, Ivan, there's no paranoid and insecure profession more than the, the sports medium. So th- th- that's, that's, that's par for the course. Um, all right. So here's, John, I want to ask you this. Um, when you take on some kind of undertaking like this, no one has any idea of how many people truly sort of at a company work on it. So two questions here. One you'll certainly answer, and the other you'll <laughs> dance around, but that's okay. I want to... I want to know, uh, can you give me a sense of how many people at ESPN have been, are, are working on this or have worked on this? And then secondly, because there's so much content and because a lot of the content that you're doing, and this, I give you guys total props on this, is, is because of the quality of the content and to um, educate the consumer and to pay tribute to the sport, you know, it's probably hard to monetize all this. So part one is how many people worked on all this? And then the second one is, like, how do you monetize this investment? And, and can you really monetize mm-hmm. the investment? Well, it's, it's hard to quantify exactly how many people have worked on it for a couple of reasons. One is we've had so many people touch this project over the years. Um, going back to the early days when I was first talking to Rob Temple and Connor Shell, of course, my 30 for 30 uh, comrade and uh, and Burke Magnus and so many others, Nick Dawson, all these people over the years. But then it, there was a point where we got together, um, you know, content heads from throughout the company to brainstorm ideas, concepts. How do we want to tackle this? 
um, I, you know, all along we had a vision that we wanted to commemorate the sport in the 150th anniversary, but it's not just a pure celebration. We'll deal with all the issues that relate to college football. Um, so that was a big core part of uh, what we put together. And so, so many people have helped us develop, get to this point. Robert Abbott was somebody I consulted with who directed the Last Days of Night film. So many people have touched this. Kate Leonard, um, you name it. It's just, it's an endless list almost of people who've touched it over the years. Now we have a core team, but we're also working with production companies, Herzog and Company, um, who has produced the American Game and the Greatest series. They did the CNN Decades series. They did the history of comedy, the history of movies. They've done such great work. That's where they got my attention with their success with like the 60s, for example, the 1968 four-parter they did. Um, you know, they have a lot of people just within their own house working on this. Fritz Mitchell and Paul Carruthers uh, and Aaron Cohen and the people working on Saturdays in the South. There's lots of people working on just that. Um, so there, there, there's a lot of people. I mean, to try to quantify, it's probably people have touched this project over 100 at some point, or I think have had an influence on it in one way or another. As far as monetizing it, um, you know, our sales team has actually done a terrific job. Liza Falk, Teresa Palmieri, uh, Rob Temple, you know, in the early days, I, you know, we were very much interested in having presenting sponsorship for our various, um, you know, um, hallmarks of, of the content, and, and we have that. Um, so we have, in that sense, been able to monetize it. I think one thing that always appealed to me about doing something like this is I, I go back to the days of Sports Century. I was, I'm heavily influenced by my time on Sports Century. Mark Shapiro ran that two decades ago, and we rolled out over 50 hours of content back then on the 20th century in sports. Um, and so, you know, the ambitions were high to do something like that here. But you're also looking at, can we monetize it? Will, will we have people on board? How important is it to our company? Um, just look at the investment ESPN's had in college football over the decades now. ABC, look at how far back ABC goes with college football into the 60s. So I thought it was an important project for the entire company, quite honestly. And, um, and I, think, I think what we're doing now reflects that, uh, reflects that priority. Ivan, I got two content questions for you, uh, or content-related questions. First one is, and you know, any of us who've worked at uh, you know big sports organizations love the the you know the having the opportunity to like decide on an all-decade team or all-century team and things like that. And you know, fortunate enough to work at a place where people will read it. Uh, when being part of any of these committees to decide on the sports greatest players over 150 years. I wonder if you can give me some insight into how people um, uh, discussed and talked about comparing players from different eras. Like, how do you make the judgment on, let's say, somebody who dominated the 50s, who there's no chance they are sort of a better pure athlete than somebody playing in 2019, yet statistically for their era, they were incredible. I'd be curious to just sort of, you know, how you guys might have sort of discussed and debated, you know. Something like uh, you know Glenn Davis of Army versus like Jalen Hurts of Alabama. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm sort Absolutely. of getting into. And my philosophy and John uh, agreed with me, uh, and I don't even know who came up with it first. But what we decided was we aren't going to put any rules on on how people decide. Let's just pick the right people to decide, and let them you know and, and do a uh, you know it when you see it. Uh, philosophy and just if you want to if you want to say well red grange wouldn't be very good right now so i'm not going to vote for him that's up to you if you want to take red grange 
in his element and how great he was compared to everybody then and apply that versus Jalen Hurts and how great he is now, you know, that would be my preference. Uh, and that seems to me the most logical thing, but we didn't, we didn't instruct people to do that. Ivan, you're one of the really good people to ask this because you're born in Mobile, Alabama, yet you have traveled around the country. You're a graduate of Stanford. I know that you worked for Newsday for a couple of years, so I imagine you must have lived in New York City for a little bit. So you you have a you know, and obviously, so you're son of the South, but yet you've lived in the Northeast, went to school in the West, so you have a real sense of, um, you know, real sense of sort of the country. Why in your lifetime covering college football has the sport sort of gone from more regional to more national, in your opinion? Well, it's not just my opinion. I think it's a fact. The Supreme Court case. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The Supreme Court case in 1984, which took the uh, control of television rights away from the NCAA and gave it to the individual schools. Uh, and then everybody could, rather than as when I grew up and when John grew up, uh, there was one or two games at most on television a week. So there were, it was a regional sport. You, you watched, you listened to, you didn't watch, you listened to the teams in your conference. Uh, once everybody began to be on television, uh, then it became a more national sport. And with the advent of the playoffs, Richard, both the BCS and now the college football playoff, it then became important at the University of Washington what happened at Ohio State. And it was, and to Ohio State, it was important what Alabama did. And so all of a sudden, the nature of the horse race made the sport a much, much more national entity. I don't think it's any coincidence that uh, in the last 30 years, Notre Dame has not won a national championship when they, you know, when they were the only national school, they won a lot of them. And then, and it was a vote then. So it was a popularity contest in a lot of ways, but you know, which would lend itself to being the only national school. Uh, now that there are a lot of national schools, it's harder for Notre Dame to get to the top. One more for you, Ivan. And then you guys can sort of both answer the final one. Uh, in the course of your career, Ivan, and I ask this uh, sort of, and let the audience sort of acknowledge, you work at ESPN, so access for you is going to be at a different level than than other people. <laughs> but from the, from the start of your career, Ivan, to today, how would you evaluate the level of access for people covering the sport of college football? Where Where was it then? Where is it now? Compare... In contrast, if you could, I always find that kind of interesting when I talk to people who've been in the business for a while. Uh, well, I think it was better when I started in 1987 at the Dallas Morning News when I started covering college football there than it is now. I think it was better then than it had been before. It was almost like there was this window where we just had more access. Uh, and I don't really know why it was more available then. Uh, you know, to your point about me being at ESPN, the great, I, I've had the great fortune of being in the right places. You know, when I was at that, the Dallas Morning News, having come from New York, where I was a fact checker at SI, uh, I hadn't covered college football and I didn't know anybody. But coaches returned my phone calls because I was a national writer and because they wanted to recruit Dallas. So they wanted their name in the Dallas Morning News. 
So my access has always been better than it should have been, uh, both there and then at Newsday. And then when I came back to SI and now at ESPN, I've always been at places where people wanted to talk to me. Um, and I'm not uh, egotistical enough to think it was because of my charm and, and good looks, you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, so. But you are charming, uh, Ivan. Is, you, you are charming and, and you're a good looking guy. Thanks, John. I'm I'm blushing. Uh, (laughs) There is uh, uh, there is less access now because coaches can get away with it. They don't need the writers the way they used to. They can, as as with politicians, as with CEOs, they can go direct to consumer. And, you know, are in a lot of ways, uh, not so much with ESPN. It may have accelerated ESPN's or, you know, position but i think they uh they don't need the media the way they used to all right john let's finish with this um and ivan you're certainly um uh, more than uh if you wish to to weigh in after john uh, with any thoughts please feel free john one of the things that <clears throat> when you tackle this kind of ambitious project you know you obviously want to start with something that's big that gets um you know, sort of people into the project. You know this from your 30 for 30 days. You, you, you want every one of these documentaries to sort of start really big so people get invested in, mm-hmm. the, in the film. That's writ small. This, this is writ large. So you've already done that. You've kicked off this project and you want people to be invested in the content. What I'm interested in is, um, what is how do you finish this? One, when does the sort of, when does the content end? And what, what is ESPN's thinking or what is your thinking in terms of what do you end with? Because you obviously want to end with something that's a big note, but you know, it's also very hard to, um, you know, encapsulate 150 years of college football into one piece, you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So what, what's the thought about sort of where yeah, the project I ends? I think it all does culminate at the end of that 150 days of original content. I mean, we started to put out a little bit here and there, a trailer, a Hallmark, whatnot, some digital content early this calendar year. We tried to take advantage of the end of last college football season to make sure people were aware of what was coming in 2019. But it's all been about this 150 consecutive days of content. So that, that leads us right to the national championship game on January 13th in New Orleans. And um, specifically, you know, we, we talk about we've got a closing documentary from John Hawk, but like what else? I mean, we've got, we have the game. We have the playoff. So what we're talking about really is making the all-time All-America team, which will be just 11 on offense, 11 on defense, a kicker, a punter, and a return specialist, along with the 150 greatest players of all time. Those are really going to be the final reveals in the, in the last uh, couple of weeks and right up to the last day. We're talking about how do we want to uh, reveal the 150 uh, greatest players and, and that final that final. Uh, top 10 maybe, and, and who is the greatest player of all time. So that will be something that we're looking at right now, how to best do that as part of Championship uh, Monday. Ivan, you want to – first of all, it's you're, it's impossible to name the greatest player of all time, which will make it you know kind of great when people get – you know, Matt, look, dear Lord, we see people losing their minds with Kobe Bryant versus Steph Curry on some all-time team. So that'll be that'll be fun to watch. Uh, what do you, Ivan, if you, there's anything you want to add, but I do like that. I think that's kind of cool to end, you know, to end on some kind of all-time greatest mm-hmm. something 
and then let people debate and decide and um, immerse themselves in that discussion. Yes, exactly. And and the, we have I have been surprised at how people with our 150 greatest programs they kind of nobody really went to the ramparts to battle us on it, which I I, I found somewhat gratifying. Uh, the only point I would make about the quote unquote end of this project, Richard, is that you know. ESPN Plus, all of this content will live on, all the video content will live on ESPN Plus forever and ever, as well as uh, you know, the podcasts are going to live as long as podcasts live, you know, that I, you know, the down and distance podcast. So uh, we are fire, we're aiming a fire hose at people all season, but, you know, there is a way to, if you can't get to it all right now, it, it will be available. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, Ivan has led our voting efforts and done a, a spectacular job with it. I think one thing that we felt was really important, whether it was the voting or the overall approach, like it's not our anniversary. ESPN doesn't own this anniversary. It's the anniversary of the sport. But we want to lead the way. Um, it's what ESPN, I think, does, why I love ESPN so much, what we did 20 years ago with Sports Century. It wasn't our century, but ESPN is going to devote over you know, 50 hours of content to it. So with the voting, um, I think we're very careful to put together a voting body um, that is uh, diverse across the sport, eras, generations, regions, ethnically, racially, you name it. I mean, it's a very diverse group of voters, and 80% of which those voters are not affiliated with ESPN at all. So you got 80% of the voters are not tied to, to us in any way. And I think it gives us a really good read on, on these lists and, a, and an accurate uh, feel for, for these lists. It's not ESPN's list, per se. It's nearly as accurate as if I had just done it myself, which is what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It really should be. It should be. It should be Ivan Mazel's 150 greatest players. All right, let us give the bios again, and let me take a deep breath because John has such a long title. Ivan Mazel has covered college football for ESPN, as I mentioned at the top, since 2002. Check out all his work via the different uh, mediums, and uh, I've known Ivan for a long time. He's such a class guy, and um, and uh, I always am happy for. His success, John Dahl, is a ESPN vice president of special projects and original content, one of the point people behind this college football initiative. Uh, guys, uh, I'm certainly happy to talk about this because I think um, not only is it ambitious, I, I just think the quality, at least of what I've seen so far, is really, really high. And that's something I respect because it takes incredibly talented producers and editors and researchers to to put this kind of stuff together so i wish you the best of luck with it and um and thanks so much for joining me today on the thank you Podcast. thanks for having us yeah all right back in the studio my thanks to adnan verk ivan mazel and john Dahl for their time and insights and interesting conversation always great to catch up with adnan if you like this kind of content previous guests include jane mcmanus and katie strang that was last week on um how to cover the nexus of mental health and sports and sexual assault in sports. It was an interesting conversation. I hope um, people will check that out. Before that, Garrett Graff, the author of The Only Plane in the Sky, an oral history of 9-11, and kind of an amazing book on how um, Garrett Graff talked to 400-plus people about their experiences on 9-11, including those on Air Force One with President George W. Bush. We had John Orand for some conversation about the media. ESPN Monday Night Football analyst Booger McFarland. Before that, Gus Johnson, 
of Fox and um, just go down the list and hopefully there'll be things that uh, you find interesting down Van Natta, Chelsea Janes. Uh, we did a pro boxing round table. If you like wrestling, Conrad Thompson, the pod father, and uh, Paul Heyman and Renee Young of the WWE. If you're a soccer fan, Taylor Twelman was uh, a couple weeks ago and Bob Lee for his ESPN exit interview. My thanks as always to Patrick Antonetti for producing this podcast. The uh, Boy, we gave a lot of Cadence 13 uh, references on this podcast. Thanks to Adnan. But uh, as always, thanks to Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, John McDermott, Sean Cherry, and the rest of the cats there. We'll be back next week with another edition of this podcast. Until then, this is Richard Deitch. Thanks as always for listening to the Sports Media Podcast.